0: And this evening we're reading verses, uh, looking at verses 14 through 17 of 2 Timothy 3. So now to the reading of God's holy word. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood... You have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. O gracious God and Heavenly Father, again we come before you and we praise you and thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we consider what is it that makes your word so different from any other book, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding by the power of the Spirit as we confess these truths and that we might be further equipped to glorify your name. Father, we pray now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. What <clears throat> is so special about the Bible? Seems like it's, you know, just a a book like any other book. It has uh, pages and a binding and words written on those pages. But what is it that makes the Bible different from other books? From things like the Koran or the Book of Mormon or even an adventure novel or a cookbook or an encyclopedia? Why do we spend time reading, studying, and memorizing the Bible. Isn't it just an ordinary book? Well, no, it isn't. On our next installment of our Back to the Basics series, a communion series, we're going to consider this evening why the Bible is no ordinary book. Indeed, as the Apostle Paul reveals to Timothy in our passage this evening, the Bible is the very Word of God, and it's powerful to accomplish much, even to transform the lives of those who would read it in faith. And so as we would compare the Bible to any other book, Again, the chief difference is that the Bible alone is the inspired Word of God. And this is what Paul says to Timothy here in verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But what exactly does that mean? What does it mean that Scripture is given by inspiration of God? Oftentimes when we think of the word inspire, we think of being encouraged or uplifted and being moved to action. Perhaps you read a book about a famous person that inspired you to do something important and significant. And there are many inspiring stories of athletes who have overcome many obstacles in order to achieve greatness in their sport. And there are movies and songs that move us and inspire our emotions. But is this what we mean when we talk about the Bible being inspired by God? Now certainly it's true that the Bible is inspiring. Think about Joseph uh, in the book of Genesis overcoming his brother's evil deeds by rising above and becoming second in command in all the land of Egypt where he ends up saving his family including the lives of the very same brothers who had sold him into slavery many years before. Or there's the account of David and Goliath. Right, that often inspires many to stand strong in faith as they uh, face a challenge and an obstacle against all odds. And of course, many are inspired by Jesus. His ministry of compassion and mercy. And the great love that He had for His people that He would even die for them. The Bible is filled with inspiration in this sense. But that isn't all there is. And unfortunately, that's exactly where many people stop in their view of the Bible. They say that it's just a a book of morally uplifting or inspiring stories. And we we can read it, and we can be edified and challenged and encouraged, but that's it. But when the Apostle says here that the Scriptures are given by inspiration of God he has in mind something greater and much more expansive. The Greek word from which this phrase is translated literally means God breathed or breathed out by God. And so when Paul says that the scripture is given by inspiration of God, he's not talking about the emotion that it ought to stir up in us, but rather the very origin of the scriptures themselves. The Scriptures are God-breathed. That is, they're the words, the very words of God spoken through His prophets and apostles. And here Peter testifies in 2 Peter 2, 1 verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And those who recorded these words... Were guided by God's Spirit, who who spoke them. I'm thinking about the prophets and the apostles as they they spoke and as they taught, but then they also wrote these things down, and they were guided by God's Spirit, not in a mechanical stenographer kind of way, but God used the styles and the personalities of those individuals. And so, for example, we have four gospel accounts written by uh, four different authors. There's four different styles. But they've been written for a different purpose and to different audiences. And so this explains that though there is much overlap in these accounts, there's also a lot of differences. Now these are not contradictory differences, but they're differences that help to give us a fuller picture. Even as you had, if you had four different people uh, view an accident, you'd get four very different perspectives, even though there'd be a lot of the information that would be the same. And so the Bible isn't just written by men as if it were a novel, but the content, the themes, the thoughts and words are God's. And God used different men with different styles and personalities guided by uh, the Holy Spirit. And again, originally uh, written in Hebrew and Greek, but then faithfully translated into the common languages of the people. And so we can call the Bible, even... Even this book, we can call it the very Word of God. As the Holy Spirit was active in its writing, in its compiling, and its preservation throughout the ages. But the Bible, because it's God-breathed-out Word, it's His God-breathed-out Word, because it's His special revelation to humanity about Himself, well, His Word then actually reflects His very character and being. And we know God is perfect. We know that He doesn't lie, and that He's fully and completely reliable. We know because if God wasn't these things, well, then He certainly wouldn't be God. And if He wasn't these things and He wasn't God, well, He certainly wouldn't be worth trusting and serving. But because God is all these things, His Word, which reveals Him, bears these same characteristics. And so God's Word is perfect. That is, it's inerrant and infallible. Inerrant, basically meaning without error and infallible, is that it's completely dependable and reliable and and trustworthy. And this is the chief difference between the Bible and any other book, whether it be holy or secular. And really, there is no other holy book except the Scriptures themselves. The Bible alone is breathed out by God. The Bible alone is perfect and fully dependable. The Bible alone is the inspired Word of God. But the Bible is also much more. We see in verse 15, Paul reminds Timothy, in that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures." which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul is here writing to Timothy, who was a, a young man. We're not sure how young, but, uh, but young. Paul calls him a, a son and, and says in 2 Timothy 1, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it is in you also. There's no word about uh, Timothy's father. We know that he was, other than he was Greek. But his mother and his grandmother, apparently uh, Jews who had become Christians. And they faithfully taught Timothy the ways of God. And of course here we need to remember that, uh, that the scriptures of Paul's time would primarily be the Old Testament, right? The New Testament was still being written. And so when he talks about the scriptures being God-breathed, he's chiefly thinking about the Old Testament scriptures. They were faithfully taught to Timothy by both his mother and his grandmother. Think about that. What What a tremendous blessing that is. To know the scriptures from childhood is a great privilege. And children, you have a huge blessing in the fact that each of you here is growing up in a christian home where the gospel of christ is made known and indeed for some of you for some of your parents they didn't have that kind of privilege and for others they're simply faithfully carrying out what their parents instructed and taught them and so don't ever take this for granted This is truly God's gift to you, even as it was for Timothy here. To have this opportunity to be taught the scriptures and to know them from childhood. These sacred writings or scriptures that Timothy learned are able to give wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And again, remember, the context would be the Old Testament scriptures. Right? The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, are able to give wisdom to lead to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, we don't even find the name Jesus in the Old Testament. How can this be? Well, we know from Jesus' own testimony in Luke twenty-four, when he was uh, met with, um, I think, it was the two men on the on the road to Emmaus. He says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Right? Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That summarizes the whole Old Testament. And they all spoke concerning Jesus. And he opened their understanding. That they might comprehend the scriptures. That they might comprehend these things and see Jesus in the Old Testament. And so again, here Jesus is making clear that the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures speak of him. Showing that his coming to save his people from their sins was God's plan and purpose from even before the foundation of the world. These Old Testament scriptures are what Timothy would have learned and led him to faith in Christ. Indeed, as Paul also notes, that the scriptures are uh, powerful to even open our hearts and our minds. And on this we consider, for example, Psalm 19, which we'll sing later. Psalm 19, uh, verse 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And this was God's promise to his people in the Old Testament. And now Paul is confirming it's true even in the New Testament. That the scriptures, the word of God, the law of God, however you want to term it, has this power to transform hearts and lives and to bring people to salvation. It restores the soul. It makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart and enlightens the eyes. The Word of God is like a quickening, uh, it's like a double-edged sword that, that pierces the soul and restoring and quickening it, bringing it to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God brings conviction of sin. It reveals to us that we have all fallen short of God's glory, that we all have sinned. The law of God is is truly our schoolmaster, which then leads us to Christ and shows us our need for our Savior, who is Jesus. It shows us our need to seek Him out for the forgiveness of our sins. Through the Word of God, we're told of the grace of God given through Christ and His sacrificial death on the cross for sinners. And that it's through faith alone in Jesus Christ that we're saved and we're freed from eternal condemnation. The word of God when applied by the Holy Spirit brings salvation to those who will believe. For this very reason Paul says in Romans 1 that he is ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is this power. It is this power that causes men and women to go forth throughout the world as missionaries, even to dangerous and hostile areas. Many go and many lose their lives, but the Word of God continues to march forth in obedience to the Great Commission and according to Christ's promise. You see and recognize this living power of the Gospel and the Word of God. Indeed, this should stir us all to action. Paul says in Romans 10, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says... Lord, who has believed our report. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Friends, if the Word of God is, ha, has this awesome power when it's accompanied by the work of the Holy Spirit, then ought we uh, need to uh, be diligent about proclaiming this Word to a dying world, to a world without hope, to a world that needs Christ. Indeed, not only is the Word of God, though able to make us and others wise unto the great gift of salvation, but it's also our rule for all things in faith and life. The end of verse 16 all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, doctrine or teaching is a term that's offensive to many people. Even Christian people take offense at doctrine. In fact, some proudly proclaim that they don't believe in any doctrine. And others will easily sacrifice what doctrine they may have off of the cause of an appearance of unity. That all sounds nice. But essentially what they're saying is that they have no teaching. They have no root, they have no foundation upon which to stand. Why would anybody go there if they have, they're not teaching anything? They reject doctrine. But doctrine is simply a summary of what the Bible teaches. It gives us the foundation for a well-ground and reasoned faith. Those who reject the doctrine have no reasonable faith, but are often like a weather vane that, that changes with every du- uh, time the wind changes direction. But the Bible is filled with teaching and doctrine. And this doctrine gives us the foundation of how we are to live our lives. The Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer three. What do the scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. It it reveals to us what we're to believe and how we are to live. God in His grace and mercy has given us in His Word all that we need to know about who He is, about who we are, about what our purpose is and how we might glorify and enjoy Him forever. This is the doctrine or teaching of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are profitable for reproof and rebuking when, when we've sinned. Now, the Scriptures tell us about sin, where it came from, what its consequences are, how it manifests itself, and how we might overcome it and be forgiven of it. When we reprove someone we, or rebuke them, it basically means to point out Sin. And to do so, we must follow certain biblical guidelines. We don't just go around pointing out people's sins. There's guidelines. We don't give reproof or rebuking. We have to follow the guidelines. We must be sure that we have first taken the plank out of our own eye before we go and take the speck out of our brother's eye. That is, we shouldn't come to quick judgment and condemnation. We must reprove and rebuke out of love. And have a true desire to see the person restored. Matthew 18 gives the way to confront someone about their sin. It begins personally, individually, Take them away privately. Then you take witnesses and then you take it before the the officers of the church. And this reproof, all along the way though, must always be rooted in the word of God. And biblically, biblically based. We don't just reprove somebody because... They're doing something that we don't like, that is just kind of a preference thing. No, it has to be something that is found in the Scriptures. And then we can stand on the Scriptures and say, this is where you're going astray. And so that's reproof. Now, correction. Correction is setting a right and Restoring. In the Bible, we find the gospel of peace and reconciliation that corrects and sets us aright in God's sight. Right? So the gospel itself is all about correcting us. It's the peace and reconciliation which Christ brings between God and sinners. And the scriptures give us the hope of reconciliation and they point us to the source of that hope. It's in the scriptures that we discover the only way to set our lives right is through Jesus Christ. In Him we're corrected from our waywardness. We're all like sheep that have gone astray, but, but Christ, the Good Shepherd, seeks and finds us and restores us to fellowship with the one true living God. That's correction. And then finally Paul says here that the Scriptures are profitable for instruction in righteousness. Instruction for the purpose of our sanctification or progress, and holiness. The Scriptures lead and guide us in our day-to-day challenges, instructing us how uh, to make uh, decisions, showing us what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. We should look to the revealed of, uh, what's revealed in God's Word in order to discern His will in a matter. We have the responsibility to regularly read and study God's Word so that we can be equipped for this training. We also have the responsibility to instruct our children in God's word, training uh, them up in the way that they should go so that they'll not depart from it. God's word alone, the Bible, is infallibly profitable for all these things. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. But it's also profitable for a life of faith and service. Paul says in verse 17 that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is giving this instruction to Timothy, and it is a a personal instruction. But we realize that the scriptures aren't just profitable for one man, or even for only men. Nor just the man of God, not just for ministers, elders, deacons, or, or religious leaders, but all Christians... Are implied here. The scriptures are given for us all. Both men and women young and old. All the people of God. All who are sons and daughters. Of the heavenly father. Paul says the result is that the man of God. Would be complete. Or Sam's translations say perfect. And equipped for every good work. But Friends Paul isn't. Here talking about moral Perfection. It's more the idea of not lacking the necessary skills and resources to do what Christ has called you to do. The Scriptures make us complete. They give us all the resources that we need in faith and life to make our decisions and to make our choices. Now truly, this is a tremendous gift. If you want to discern the Lord's will in a situation, well, you need to go to the Scriptures and seek the Lord out in prayer. If you want to settle a dispute with someone, again, go to the Scriptures. If you need encouragement and support, go to the Scriptures. If you're lonely and depressed, go to the Scriptures. Whatever it may be that's causing you to feel incomplete, Go to the Scriptures, and the Spirit of God will direct you. And you will be equipped. Equipped to face life and all its challenges. Now consider for a moment all the wonderful promises of God's Word and how they actually equip you to face these things. They equip you to walk in faith knowing that God is with you and that He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And there can be found in the Scriptures countless examples of those who've gone before us and have been faithful to accomplish great things for the glory of God even in the midst of the most difficult trials and times of suffering and affliction. Ultimately the Scriptures though equip us to live not only in this life but to live eternally in the glorious presence of God forever and ever our life of faith isn't just about what we do now but it's about where we hope to be for all eternity but in the here and now the scriptures certainly do equip us for every good work as paul says The Scriptures equip us to minister to one another as Christ has commanded us in His Word and by His example. To build one another up, to encourage one another, to lift up each other in prayer. To minister to those in need, to to the poor, to the widows, to the orphans, to the stranger. For the Bible tells us when we minister to the least of these, we also minister to Christ. We looked at that a little bit this morning. We learn we must minister to to those who misuse and despise us. As Christ has given us the example, that even while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us and ministered to us with abundant, amazing grace, drawing us to Himself. So we become equipped to minister to those who are lost, and who are in need of the gospel of Christ. Maybe as family and friends or coworkers or neighbors. The word of God equips us even in, in little ways to be able to share the good news of salvation to those who desperately need it. God showed his great love for us, that he sent his only begotten Son to die for our sins. Why not show our love to others by inviting them to share in that same glorious gift? Beloved of God, these are the things that make the Word of God, the Bible, stand out above any other book. The Bible is God's Word. It's God's truth and God's power that can lead to salvation and life everlasting in Christ Jesus. And these are revealed to those who believe and to those who even now who would be humbled before God and repent of their sins and confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And finally, brothers and sisters, take heed to Paul's instruction to Timothy. Read and listen to verse 14 as if it were written to you. And indeed, through the Spirit it is. Paul says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Friends, continue in the pure doctrine of the Word of God, having been convinced and convicted by the Holy Spirit to draw near to God. And remember who gave you this? Not me. Though I certainly have my part. And not your parents. They have their part too. But who gave, gave this to you? God the Father. In His great love for you. And the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God. Who is the Word of God. Become flesh. And the Holy Spirit. Who gives the Scriptures power and authority in our lives. We have received this truth from the triune God, the only true and living God. Let us be challenged and encouraged then to truly be diligent in reading, studying and meditating and praying upon the word of the living God. It's powerful. It's powerful to transform your life. And it's most profitable to you and to others as you would seek to glorify God in all that you do let's pray O oh, gracious God in heaven we do praise you and thank you for the truth of your holy word and we thank you for this reminder that your word is the bible is not just an ordinary book but it is the very breathed out words that you have given and revealed to us about yourself about us about the world in which we live about our need for a Savior, and about how that Savior came and redeemed us by laying down His life for us, that we might have peace and reconciliation with You, and that we might have the forgiveness of our sins. That Your Word even shows us how we are to respond to this wonderful, gracious gift To commit ourselves and our lives to seeking after you and serving you and obeying your commands. Out of gratitude, hearts filled with gratitude and great love for all that you have done for us. And your word shows us the glorious hope of eternal life. Standing in the glory of your holy presence forever and ever and ever. Where there is fullness of joy and blessings untold. All this Your Word reveals to us and applies to each of our hearts by the power of Your Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that You truly would do that even now. That You would draw us all closer to Yourself. And that You might reveal that salvation to us. That we might truly walk in Your way and glorify Your name in all that we do. Father, we pray now for Your blessing in these things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray, amen.